Thank you very much, Ben, for and for the musicians for playing. Um, and what a lovely invitation to come and rest in him. Uh, let me add my welcome to Rachel's from earlier on. Uh, very lovely to, uh, to welcome you to us this evening. Uh, and a special welcome if you are here in Cambridge over the summer from overseas um, and you've chosen to come and be here tonight, then you're very, very welcome indeed. Lovely to have you here with us. We're looking at a question tonight that, that in a sense couldn't be more important. How can we know God? And more specifically, how does the life and teaching of Jesus Christ help us to answer that question? We're going to explore that together by looking at the, the little section of uh, the Bible that Robert read for us earlier. It comes from Luke's account of the life of Jesus Christ. Uh, and uh, uh, Luke was one of his followers, and he tells us right at the beginning of his account that, that he worked really hard to make sure that this was an accurate historical account. Uh, said that he'd carefully investigated, that he'd written an orderly account, and that he wanted his readers to know the certainty of the things that they had heard. Luke had made a point of, of seeking out people who had been present at the events that he wrote about. So I guess he might have spoken to some people who were at this dinner party, this meal uh, that we're reading about here, uh, to find out exactly what happened firsthand so that he could write it down for us. And during this meal, Jesus told three little stories. Uh, and all of which have real spiritual significance for us in this business of knowing God. We could think of them, I suppose, as three principles uh, for knowing God. Uh, here's the first. First principle for knowing God is take an attitude of humility. And we understand humility. It, it means thinking of yourself in some way as being less than others. So, if you happen to be here from, say, Germany uh, this evening, and after the service you and I find ourselves talking over coffee, and you say, would it be okay if we spoke in German? And I say to you, that would not be a good plan. I'm really no good at German. I know one or two words, but it's not going to be a very good conversation. I'd be humble about my knowledge of German, because the fact is, I'm no good at it. That's what humility sounds like. It means, it means saying, listen, there are some things I can't do. There are some things I'm not good at. There are some things that I need help with. Uh, and the fact would be that your English is almost certain to be better than my German. And Jesus makes clear that in relation to God, humble is good. You can imagine the scene here, can't you? Jesus is there at the dinner table, and there's probably a sort of a table up at the front uh, where Jesus is sitting with the host, and then there are some spread out tables around. And Jesus uses that to tell a little story. He says, look, imagine that you've been invited to some sort of quite posh dinner, uh, and there's lots of tables spread out. But when you arrive, there's no 
there's no seating plan, there's no names to show you where you should sit. And Jesus says, well, think carefully. Don't make the mistake of going and sitting in one of the, in one of the posh seats up at the front. Because you know what might happen? Somebody more important than you might arrive. And then the host will come in and say, I'm sorry, I need your seat. Um, you'll have to sit somewhere else. Look, I think there's a seat down there at the back near the toilets. You head there. And then all embarrassed, you've got to sort of walk to the back, sort of feeling like sort of a bit, bit sort of ashamed that you've been sent there. Now, Jesus says, don't make that mistake. Don't go sitting up at the front. Now, if you don't know where to sit, go sit at the back. Go sit near the toilets. Because then when the host arrives and he sees you there, he says, what are you doing back there? Goodness sake, don't sit back there. Oh, I don't need you up the front. Come on. And then it's a walk of honor. Your host bringing you right to the front. Uh, that, that's the story. It's, it's kind of practical advice. But it has a spiritual meaning. The spiritual meaning is that Jesus says, the humble will be exalted, but the exalted will be humbled. How does that work in relation to the knowledge of God? Well, when it comes to a knowledge of God, humility is good. Because we don't know God. Not naturally. Not in our own strength and wisdom. How could we know God unless He chose to reveal Himself to us? I'm not sure it actually happened, but there's a story told of a time when a, when a Soviet cosmonaut returned from space and reported that he'd not seen God up there. And C.S. Lewis famously said that that comment was a bit like Hamlet searching in the attic of his castle and saying he'd not found Shakespeare. In other words, a creature can't expect to be able to search out and find their creator. Uh, the creator is from outside. We don't find him. We don't track him down. We don't search him out. If we are ever to know God, he will have to show himself to us. Humility acknowledges our ignorance and waits to be taught. Uh, and Jesus has shown us God. That's central to the Christian message, that no one has ever seen God, but Jesus, God's Son, has made him known. So, so there's the first principle in knowing God. Come with an attitude of humility. Come ready to hear, ready to listen, ready to be told things that you don't know. Now, principle number two. In the business of knowing God, it's vital to get an understanding of grace. And that's what this second story is all about. See it there uh, starting uh, in verse 12. Uh, when uh, Jesus tells us that grace is demonstrated by radical 
generous hospitality. Uh, Jesus points out uh, what was true in his day, and, and I guess probably is true of our day as well, is that people generally give with an expectation of getting back. Uh, they give things to people, but they want something in return. In this case, it's an invitation to dinner. Come and eat with me. Come and enjoy a lovely meal with me. But I'm anticipating that then you'll invite me back. And Jesus says that's not the way to do it. Because that's not grace. Grace is inviting people who could never invite you back. Grace is giving generously, extravagantly. This, uh, this past week, uh, my wife Beth and I were down in London teaching on a, uh, uh, on a week-long residential, and we had arranged to stay with some people that we didn't know very well, um, and they weren't going to be there when we first arrived, so they'd given us the key. And we let ourselves in, and they told us where they wanted us to, to sleep. Uh, and a few days into our stay during the week, they arrived back from a two-week holiday in Canada with all of their dirty washing and all of their stuff. And it was only at that point that we discovered that the room that we were in was their room. And the bed that we were sleeping in was their bed. And we said, well, look, we must have your bed back. And they said, no, 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 we'll sleep on the sofa bed in the lounge. We said, we can't do that. And they said, yeah, no, it's, it's fine, we'll do that. Now, that's extravagant grace, isn't it? That's extraordinary hospitality. I mean, if I come back from two weeks away overseas, I don't even want anybody in my house, never mind in my bed. What extraordinary generosity. Undeserved favor. Extravagant kindness to us. And that is exactly the way that God works. People get so confused about this because people imagine that relationship with God is some kind of bargain. As if God says to us, look, I'll give you some blessings if you give me a few prayers. I'll give you life for eternity if you'll give me a few hours on a Sunday. People think that's the way that it goes with God. But it's not. No, relationship with God is based on radical, extravagant grace. We don't earn God's favor. We don't earn relationship with Him. We don't earn blessing from Him. He just gives it. But, but don't imagine that that means that His kindness to us comes free. It doesn't. Grace always costs. Think about our experience in London. In order for us to sleep in the comfortable bed, our hosts had to sleep on the uncomfortable bed. And that's pretty much the way that it works 
with God too. Because the Christian faith says, for us to be brought in, God had to be left out in the form of Jesus Christ. For, for us to be welcomed, Jesus had to be rejected. Right at the very heart of the Christian message, uh, that there are these three truths. First, that there are consequences for the way that we ignore and reject God. There is a penalty for that rebellion, that sin, as the Bible calls it, against Him. But that second, somebody had to pay that penalty. And then third, that the extraordinary message of the Christian faith is that on the cross, Jesus paid that penalty in our place. Jesus put out so that we could come in. Jesus rejected so that we could be received. And, and here in this tiny little story, Jesus says, listen, behave like that in relation to other people. Generously invite people in with no expectation of anything in return. Because when you do that, you're behaving a little bit like the way that God does with grace, undeserved favor. So two principles so far. Take an attitude of humility. Assume that there's all sorts of things about God you don't know and be willing to listen to the things he has to say to us. Second, get an understanding of grace, this extraordinary principle at the heart of the Christian faith, that you don't do bargains with God, but that he extravagantly blesses you. Uh, and then third, third principle for knowing God, come with a speedy response. Uh, let's look at the third story that Jesus tells. It, it comes in response to a, a man who says to Jesus, uh, there in verse 15, who says to Jesus, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. See, having just been reminded about grace and how good it is, this man says, wouldn't it be marvelous? Wouldn't it be great? How lovely it will be in the kingdom of God. Because he's so sure that he's going to be a part of it. So sure that his possession is this goodness from God. And in response, Jesus tells a really interesting story. Um, let me read it again to make sure that we hear it. It starts there in verse 16. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. The time of the banquet he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field. I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. 
Still another said, I've just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there's still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. It's a very striking story. And Jesus tells it for one reason alone, that we might know that the only people who eat at the feast in the kingdom of God are those who never expected to be there. You see, the, the, the banquet that Jesus describes has a, has a kind of two-stage invitation. At first, the host would have sounded people out, found out if they were able to come to his uh, banquet feast. Uh, and then knowing that they were able to come, he would then say, fine, well, on the day, once things are ready, I'll, I'll send a reminder to let you know, which is what he does. But at that moment when he sends a reminder to say, everything's ready, come, as you said you would, well, look what happens. I've bought a field, I need to look at it. Got some oxen, got to try them out. Just got married. It's a bit like saying, I've just bought a new phone. It's got to load a few apps. I've just got my washing to do. There's, there's a bit of gardening. I've got some weeds to sort out. All, all stuff that could be done at any time. All things that haven't taken people by surprise. No, they're excuses. They're just excuses. What, what people are really saying is, do you know, I'm not that interested after all. I've got, I've got something else that's more important. The fact is, we can treat God that way. Well, when we say, I know I said that I would have a bit of a think about the Christian faith, but do you know, I'm busy just now. I know I'd promised to, to read an account of the life of Jesus, but well, life's pretty full on at the moment. What, what happens to people who think about responding to God, but never quite get round to it. Well, Jesus explains that in verse 24. I tell you that not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. See, if you imagine that you'll, you'll do some of this thinking about the Christian faith business when it's convenient, as if, well, you know that eventually God will be really interested in doing business with you. Because of course he would. I mean, somebody like me, of course God will be very pleased when eventually I decide to pay him some attention. You know the invitation's there, and it's just, you know, at some point you'll turn up 
and say, I'm here now, ready for the meal. It's all right, I'll come in now. If you think that the feast will always be there, and obviously the host is bound to let you in, because you're you, well, if you take that kind of way of thinking, then Jesus says, I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. No, no, the people who end up at the feast, oh, they're very different, aren't they? They're people who never imagined such a thing would happen to them, who are astonished. Did, did you see it in verse 23, down at the end of this little story? Jesus tells his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in. Why does he need to compel them to come in, urge them to come in? Well, because they're there thinking, no, he can't mean me. No, 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 seriously. No, I mean, I wouldn't go to the big house. No, I wouldn't get into that sort of a meal. And the servant is to say, yes, you will. He wants you. You, really. And to their amazement, they come in. So, so which are we? Which are we tonight? Are you someone confident that God is bound to be ever so keen to have you? And, and you're just biding your time until it's convenient to engage with Him? Or are you someone so utterly astonished that the creator of the universe, the God of eternity, would bother with you that when you receive this invitation to come and engage with Him, of course you respond at once. Three principles. To take an attitude of humility. How could I know God unless He reveals? How will I know God unless I let Him tell me things that I would never know? Second, get an understanding of grace. Understand that relationship with God always comes as a gift. You don't earn it. And third, come with a speedy response. Don't delay, don't put this off. Some of you are visiting the UK from overseas. And I guess you're here excited to find out about our country, the UK, interested in finding out a bit about what we're like, some of the special things in our country like the royal family. So, so suppose this evening you receive an invitation from the king who says, hey, listen up, uh, I've got a lunch on tomorrow. Come to Buckingham Palace, would you? Love to have you. Can you imagine? Oh, don't know. Not sure I can fit that in. I think I've had some plans for tomorrow. We were going to Nando's. 
You can't imagine it, can you? You'd be there in a moment. Of course you would. An extraordinary invitation to receive. Uh, So much more extraordinary to be invited to the banquet of the King of Heaven. So as we finish, how might you respond? Well, there are three possibilities uh, to put in front of you tonight. You, you, You might read an account of the life of Jesus. Uh, If you've never done that, uh, there's a pile of these copies of Luke's account, the one that we've looked at tonight uh, on a table at the back. Pick one up and uh, read through. Uh, Read about this Jesus who came to deliver this invitation, this Jesus who came being put out in order that we might be brought in. Uh, Or talk. Uh, talk with somebody. Maybe you've been going to, to Andy's Cafe this week. Maybe you, you know somebody who is a Christian believer. And uh, they'd be a great person to ask questions of as you seek to understand this more clearly. Or this evening, pray. Pray in response to the invitation God makes. Speak to Him and tell Him that you hear this invitation Maybe you don't fully understand it yet, and and your prayer is, please help me to understand this invitation more clearly than I do. Maybe you do understand it, and maybe your prayer will be, I come to you. I accept the invitation and receive from you this extravagant grace. Uh, Why don't I lead us in a prayer uh, like that now? Uh, Lord God, we thank you that in order that we might know you, you came into our world in the person of the Lord Jesus. And in order that we might be able to enter in to the feast, uh, this Jesus was put out. In order that we might be accepted on the cross, he was rejected, taking our punishment for having ignored you. Uh, Lord, what grace you show us. And Father God, uh, acknowledging either for the very first time or acknowledging afresh that we do not deserve your favor, but we receive it. We hurry uh, to come to you and receive from your hands this extravagant grace that we might, to our amazement, uh, be those who feast with you in your eternal kingdom. Uh, We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Song that we're going to finish with. Span's going to come to the front.